big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and a big warm welcome to you. My name is Marion Rose, PhD. And I am Lael Stone. And today we're going to talk about the Wisdom of Trauma talk series. So I don't know, we don't know if you've listened to our last podcast. We recommend listening to it if you haven't, where we talked about the Wisdom of Trauma movie, a documentary by Dr. Gabor Mate. And part of that um, movie is they had a beautiful set of conversations with all kinds of folk. And what we would like to do today is to really uh, talk about some of those. There's so many, so we're, we're, we're lots that we want to talk about. Um, but we really want to talk about those, particularly in relationship to aware parenting and how aware parenting can really um, shed light on or uh, add a parenting perspective. Now, as you were talking about earlier on, Lael, some of the things we're talking about won't be specifically aware parenting. We will aim as far as possible if something isn't aware parenting to name that, but just to hold in mind that we, you know, we bring other pieces as well to this conversation. Mm, yes. And look, there were some fantastic talk. I mean, so much that we could just take each talk each week and talk about it, talk about the talks. But we're going to kind of bring some of the main themes I think that we really resonate with or what we see particularly in our work and and again what we have observed from that and, and how rich it is. So we're not going to cover every talk, but we're going to aim to to lean into some really beautiful ones. So where to begin? Uh, do you want to start, Marion, by just, you know, the piece that you were saying to me, that beautiful quote that you pulled out, which I think is just, it speaks so beautifully to the answer, you know, as to how we help shift and heal some of this big story of trauma that many of us carry. Mm, yes. So this was in the conversation with Thomas Hubel, which I, who, whom I really enjoy. So I'd love to talk a bit more about him. Um, but what Gabor said, I'm hoping he's happy with us calling him Gabor. Dr. Mate said, I think ethics are a substitute for integrity. If we were whole, we would not need ethics or moral teaching at all. Slogans about goodwill and peace and all that, they sound wonderful. But the question is, what is keeping us from being integrated? That peace isn't just a concept, but a reality. That love isn't just a wished for quality, but something that we manifest. We all have the capacity. It is, in, it is our lack of integration, which is to say our internal and collective fragmentation that keeps us from being able to manifest those qualities. I'm much more interested in seeing what gets in the way of the integration than in going for some ethical resolution. And what I loved about that is when I could actually read my writing <laughs> is it's the essence of aware parenting, isn't it? It's what we talk mm -hmm. about all the time, that the, um, the behaviorist approach to parenting, which is when we seeing a child's behavior and, and responding to the behavior as if a child wants to hit or is, um, you know, wants to stay up all night or wake up 25 times or wants to um, shout at their sister is really not understanding that uh, we, we all, our true nature is loving kindness. That's who we really are. It's the hurts that get in the way of 
our children and ourselves being the loving, compassionate, connected, cooperative, community-based individuals and collective that we are, which is why we often talk about, don't we? It's like saying be gentle to a child who's sitting is not really probably going to help. I mean, you might add a little bit more shame on the top, but it's not addressing the root cause of hitting or biting or throwing or pushing or taking or any of the things that children do that we find challenging. And I think what we are both so passionate about and what Aware Parenting holds is instead is what can we do to support children to meet their needs as much as we are able to listen to their feelings as much as we are able so that they actually live from that innate place where they want to connect they want to cooperate they want to contribute we don't need to train them we don't need to teach them yes of course we need to provide them with a loving environment where they also receive that and they see that um, they experience that from us but it is intrinsic to who they are and to me like from the whole of that everything that uh, Gabor said when he said that it was like yeah that to me is one of the essence points of aware parenting where it really differentiates itself from other parenting paradigms often I think Mm, I yes I agree and it's making me think about you know the piece in the film where there is an insight into people in prison and they're all talking about their trauma and and there was um there was an interview series a vision for compassionate prison um that Gabor did which again really spoke to when we look behind why people behave badly and this is kind of again we, we can we look at it through the lens of parenting and most parents are like why is my child like this but again, when they grow up to be adults that do things that, you know, are deemed not okay or that, you know, are dangerous or hurtful to others, again, when we look at, well, where does that come from? Because I think it is that big core piece that the truth of who we are is that we want to all be loved. We want to be connected. We want to have this intimate connection and safety with other humans. But when the pain has been so great, when the trauma has been so big, we act in ways that are painful. And, and I think to some degree we, we all do this as humans, you know, so for children do it. We can do it in our intimate relationships. We can treat our partners, you know, terribly because we're hurt. We can um, project that onto our children. We can do that with our work colleagues. Like I think to some extent we have to be so aware that we, you know, and we say this all the time, we are we're all coming from protection we are all coming from this place often where we're like how do I keep myself safe or how do I need to power over somebody so I don't feel so terrified about what's going on or you know we are often coming from that unconscious place of trauma state that just says this is not safe and so then what do I do and I think it is it's it's pulling back this conversation to a much broader perspective to say well what is going on in this world of where we are and what we do with prison I think, you know, and again, the film touches on some of this in some of the interviews. We see it in our medical system. We see it in our schooling system. You know, this was one of the main reasons why I started the school because I wanted there to be a place where children were not shamed. They were not coerced into doing something. They they didn't create a whole story that says I am bad because I am not doing what the main people say I should do. Or, you know, I think there is so much in our culture that is just speaks to why we are the way we are from that bigger, huge fundamental perspective of, you know, what we have carried on from generation to generation. Mm, yes, I so love that, Lau. And 
I think um, that that's what Aware Parenting offers. That's what this amazing uh, series offers and the movie. There's that to actually just see things from a compassionate lens, because the more even just seeing if our child's doing something, even if we can remember even for a moment that that the reason is not because they're bad or wrong or all the ways that we've been culturally conditioned to believe about children but to understand there's something going on for them they're in pain and the same for us you know we always talk about that little oh, I always talk about the list of three of Aletha's you know the three reasons for for challenging behavior if we keep coming back to rather than the cultural conditioned uh, response which is judgment and shaming when we act in ways that we wish we hadn't is to actually look underneath what is it in terms of those three things and um, so helpful, isn't it? Even just that piece to have that compassionate perspective that changes everything. Mm, it, it it does change everything. Like I think that is the one of the biggest pieces that I see a shift in parents I work with, which is when and to, and I really like to keep it simple because I think there's so much we could get into. But with parents, I always go just look behind the behavior. There's always a reason. Like so, let's just start. Let's just look behind. What could be going on here that is fueling? Because what you're seeing in this moment is is saying, hey, there's something going on for me. You know. And I say to parents, when your child is acting out, imagine they're waving a little red flag, saying, "Please help me. I'm having a hard time. Something's going on for me." And that applies to a two year old, and it applies to a twelve year old, and it applies to a seventeen year old you know they are saying something I'm out of balance here something's going on for me can you please help me and us being the adult you know that that is ideally what our role or job is is to bring the safety and bring the calm to say yes hey let's work through this let's find ways that we can navigate what is happening here Mm, yes and that clear articulation Aletha has those three reasons that there are one is here and now unmet needs that they're trying to communicate another is they need information so that's more their mind and the, the thinking process and the third is painful feelings and the wonderful thing to remember that's the same with us that's what cause us, causes us as parents to behave in ways that we really wish we hadn't and that the old cultural conditioning of more shame and more judgment and more guilt does actually not help at all just as Punishment never addresses or rewards, never address the cause of a child's behavior, never create change at that root cause. Neither does shaming or guilting ourselves as parents. The only really way to support true change is meeting those things with compassion first and then to understand and then to address the root cause. Mm, yes. And of course, then we take it another step further because we talk about this all the time. That is very challenging to do that if we first do not do it with ourselves. <laughs> so to be the parent that we often want to be, to meet that with calm and curiosity with our children is and can be incredibly challenging. If we were, we spent most of our childhood being co coerced or being shut down or being told we were not good enough and our hurts and pains are, are there, then it can be very challenging to turn up and hold those spaces for our children. And that's why we so advocate and so invite the deep compassion for ourselves as we do this work, but also support so we can unpack our own stories so that we do not carry them forward for, for our children. It's so essential, isn't it? So mm. deeply essential. And I'd love to share a little bit more about the Thomas Hubel thing. I love then he really talked about um, that frozenness that when we are, you know, we get frozen back in time. So he said, we don't update information. And that's why we're constantly connecting with younger parts of feelings from the past, 
cultural conditioning when we're parenting and that's the places where we're going to find things challenging that's going to be the places where we are reactive it's going to be the places where we might know all the aware parenting in the world and all the practices and the processes but it's those younger parts those old hurts in us that that never got to be heard that never got to be expressed that are going to show up and so really understanding that that is essential we cannot parent when we talked about it a million times we cannot do this work and I actually want to say I know you want to talk more but while we're on the Thomas Hubel I really also loved he talked about collective ancestral and individual trauma and if we think about it those are all showing up for us as parents <laughs> like no wonder can be so hard because each of those three are going to be showing up and our children are be, going to be constantly inviting us to attend to all three of those so it's you know it's a big uh, it's a big tremendous transformational journey well it can be parenting if we uh, receive that as an invitation rather than mm. put it in the too hard basket and just carry on without uh, you know really attending to our own hurts mm. on all those three levels yeah completely and I think uh, you know some of the interviews I think talked beautifully about that intergenerational trauma and what we've carried on and Gabor mm. his story about growing up in Hungary with the war and you know I I think I've shared on this podcast too my husband is Hungarian and and his parents did the same thing and they escaped from Hungary and just the other day actually uh, my husband and I went for a walk and we were having a joke about how his natural default is always to assess a situation, go, is it danger? Is it danger? Like he's always on a high alert for things. And, you know, and I'm blissful, like we were having a walk and I'm blissfully walking along, like nature's amazing. Like, I mean, it was really funny. I was in the like, ah, oh, this is wonderful. And he's like scanning where we are to check if there's danger. And I looked at him and I was like, oh, baby, is that what you're doing right now? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, is that all the time? And he's like, yeah, it is all the time. And I was like, okay, so do you ever remember not doing that? And he's like, no, that's just that's just what I learned. And I was like, okay, so who does that belong to? And he's like, oh, that that comes from my parents. That belongs to my mum. And I was like, and I said to him, I mean, we were just chatting and I was like, that must feel exhausting, honey, having to scan all the time to check where is this, right? Because that's just what he's known. And, and again, when there's more of the story from his family, I can absolutely see where that's come from. And what was really interesting is I said to my husband, well, why don't you hand that back to your mum? You don't have to carry that anymore. Like this is not yours because then we were joking about, we're not joking, but we're talking about how which one of our kids has perhaps taken that on board as well. And I was saying, you know, babe, you don't have to carry that anymore. Like that's what you took on board as a little one and what you've carried, but you could hand that back. And then it was really interesting because his comment was, but if I hand it back to my mum, then no one will will keep us safe. Like, you know, I can't because then who's going to look out for us? And I was like, wow, okay. So there's the root cause of this has served us because this has been about survival for years, you know, the generations we've come through. And, and it was really interesting. And I said, so would you be willing to hand it back? And he's like, oh, it feels unsafe too. Like I couldn't. And and I know you and I, Marion, we've talked about this many times and, and much of the work that we do with parents is often the stories that we hold on to and that we carry. And then when we invite them, could you let that go and move into something else? It often feels very scary too, because that is all I have known. And that has been my perception of what has kept me safe. And that again, plays so much into trauma and to how sometimes our traumas, we hold on to them because there is a perception that it's going to keep us safe in some way. There is, there is something of how that actually 
will serve us moving forward because, you know, if I have to let that go or if, um, you know, if, if I explore deeper into what that is, then that could feel too painful and too scary. And I think this just speaks to the complexity of us as beautiful humans, of the stories that we sometimes create, of what happens to us, what we make it mean, then how we keep perpetuating it. And we can see that in relations, our intimate relationships. We can see that in the work we do. Then we see it in our parenting and how we carry it on. And, and I think we all have this to a degree. You know, we all do. And, and for some people, it's very pronounced. And I think others, it's less. And I think, again, it comes back to exploring, you know, where we sit in the fundamental core of who we are and what stories we carry and where they turn up in our lives. Mm, I love how you talk about that, Lel. And it really reminds me that um, Gabor talked a lot about, I remember, and Thomas Hubel did as well, about the, the function of symptoms, how how important they are and how all these things we're doing all of these things we uh, we learned to do them or we found ways of doing them as younger people or as babies even in some way to keep us safe or to help us be loved or be safe or belong so I, I love that that perspective that we very much hold is that these are all amazing beautiful things and let's celebrate them I really am into when I work with people like really celebrating control patterns for example like how fantastic if you had a big feeling or any kind of feeling as a baby or as a child and there was no one around who understood or could be present in their body with you as as you were feeling that feeling that's the thing that you're going to do you're going to find a way to uh, either mildly dissociate to suppress those feelings and that's usually through food or through movement or through sucking a thumb or picking your nose or twirling your hair or going on screens. Control patterns, which of course is such a fundamental part of aware parenting, they're amazing, incredible things because we did them and we still do them when there isn't enough presence in the moment or we don't, we're not aware, or we're not willing to actually receive that presence in the moment. So that beauty of actually seeing there is never anything wrong with us. We're always and uh, doing whatever we can to to survive and to meet basic needs in a culture mm. and, and again if we think of that on that big cultural level as uh, Thomas Huber and many others talked about the the indigenous folk and uh, all the pain that's been experienced it's like we're we're amazingly wise it's just that the, the symptoms become over time when we continue them as adults often what create more pain Yes, yes. And, and you know, I think the movie again speaks beautifully into this when Gabo's sitting with a group of women and talking about their addictions and what it was that their addiction gave them. And it gave them a sense of peace or it gave them a sense of security or it gave them a sense of feeling loved or whatever it was. And as he said, and that they're not bad things, are they? And it served its purpose. And I think you know, as we talk about addictions and again, you know, in our languaging of aware parenting, we talk about control patterns where we we do that, whether that is needing to drink all the wine or eat all the ice cream or, you know, binge watch, you know, shows, whatever it is that we, we often talk about, that the way that we start to heal some of that stuff is not through the judgment. And again, I think what, what I love about what Gabor and this documentary does is it brings compassion to people who are in those addictions or who have you know, where that has impacted their life greatly because it is not because they're making a bad choice. It is because they are trying to keep themselves safe. And we all do this as well. And our children do this as well. And I think that's what I love too, that that beautiful compassion for we're all doing the best we can. And and our pain often speaks louder. And therefore, we're going to try and do what we can to keep ourselves okay. And that 
you know, that piece of when we can meet it with compassion and not with judgment, that's when we begin to start the healing. You know, I think that is such a fundamental piece and I, and I think that's what I wish our culture and our society would begin to lean more towards. It's, you know, it's that whole thing if we knew if you met a person and you could instantly see the story they have traveled behind them, we would have nothing but compassion for every human because we would go, oh yeah, wow, that's what happened to you when you were four. And gosh, yes, that's where you were at seven. And, and this is what happened when you were a teenager. And yeah, I really understand why you are the way you are. I think again, that would just, um, that would definitely change where our world's at, isn't it? Wouldn't it? Oh, it's so, so deeply change it. Do you know what I'm thinking about is there was a beautiful book many years ago by Christina Groff, who's actually the wife of Stan Groff, who was one of the, the um, people on the, on the talk series. Um, and the book was called The Thirst for Wholeness. And it was all about addiction. And what I loved about what she talked about is really uh, often at the root cause, the, the experience that someone has when they're in the midst of whether it is like on the more mild level, perhaps binge watching Netflix or eating chocolate is to the extreme level is actually in some sense feeling what it is that they are most longing for. I mean, it's not in the most truest sense, but there's that longing for that. And again, that's so often the case, isn't it? With control patterns, you think I'm thinking about myself, you know, I was a probably heard my story. If you've listened to these before that I was in, in an incubator for the first five weeks of my life. And then, um, you know, didn't ever get to co-sleep or anything, didn't get so many closeness needs met. And so my main control pattern from when I was about one was a little soft toy bunny, which I used to clutch onto and hold onto and take everywhere and had for many, many years. And I often find it really interesting to notice for a child, a baby or a child, what their control patterns are and how specific it is. And yes, some of those, I mean, often they are passed down. So um, the food to repress feelings or suppress feelings is often uh, passed down generation to generation because of how we're interpreting a baby or a child's um, signals as hunger rather than as feelings. And then we feed them when they're actually feeling upset. But often there's something really specific why a ch one child will have one certain thing as a control pattern and another child will have something else. It's often really, um, it tells us something. So for me, you know, that's that clutching onto that little bunny. It was like little baby me having that connection that I most long for as, as a little baby. So there's so much wisdom again, even in the control patterns, if we release all that judgment. And again, I, I love culturally that the, the judgment of um, addiction is releasing um, but even to actually release all that judgment around the things that we um, maybe each of us do and whether for us, for your listeners, maybe it's whether you eat a whole box of chocolates rather than just one or, you know, whatever it is, a whole bottle of wine rather than one glass. How would it be if you really met yourself with compassion there? Because the paradox is, is um, connection, connection and compassion are the antidote to suppression and um you know, flight and, and lack of presence. So the more we bring presence, even if we can bring presence to ourselves whilst we're eating the fifth chocolate or the seventh biscuit or whatever it is, oh my gosh, you really, you really um, you have this urgency or, you know, we're clicking on yet another link to do some online shopping. Oh gosh, I'm really, you know, to, to meet ourselves with that loving compassion or to phone a friend or if you're familiar with my inner loving presence work to have our inner loving mother say, sweetheart, I really hear how much you, want another pair of shoes, whatever it is, 
that in itself starts to actually bring presence where presence is most required. Yes, I love that. Yes, and that I think, you know, that is uh, something that we are, I think, all learning to do, or even if we start with that first little piece, which is the awareness of what we're doing and bring that to the story and not bring judgment, but bring just a tiny bit of compassion is a place to start with that. And then we observe it in our children and others. And I think, again, that, you know, you speak so beautifully around that of, of the curiosity about it, but also the understanding of it. And then the compassion we can bring to it for the healing is, is profound. I mean, you know, what we're talking about here, you know, I guess in, in Gabor's documentary, but then in also these interviews is so many different levels of, and perception, or not perceptions, but perspectives on trauma, whether it's just the body, whether it's, um, you know, the generational staff, whether it's um, culturally, it's whether it's in relationships. I think there's so many different lenses to look through when we talk about trauma. And there is no one right way to heal. And I think that's really important too, is that we are all deeply unique and individual. And I think as I, as you talked about the bunny and what it is that you did, you know, and what you would need to then, or what you have done to heal that story for you around that attachment or whatever it is where you didn't get your needs met will be different to somebody else who has had a completely different story. And I think that's really interesting that we can be curious around our own unique journey of, well, what is it that I need to heal those parts of me? What is it I'm observing in my child of what they need? And anybody who has more than one child will tell you, you know, we have to often parent our children differently because of who they are and what they need and how sometimes we need to respond to them. And, um, you know, I, I think that is when, if you are starting out on the journey of healing trauma, it is to know there is not one size that fits all. And sometimes it is a process and a journey of trying different things and seeing what that is to then help our story. Sometimes it is starting with the mind and understanding it. Sometimes it is starting with the body. Sometimes it is finding the right support first. You know, there are so many different things that we can lean into. And I think that's what I love this, this speaker series because there's many different components to tap into. I, I wanted to touch on just quickly, if I can, about the body, because again, there's quite a few speakers on here that talk about the body. You know, you can, um, you know, Peter, Peter Levine, we've Levine, Levine. Um, I always get him confused with the singer. <laughs> um, that you know, he obviously talks a lot about the body and our our ability to to shake or move story. You know, Stephen Porges talks about the polyvagal theory. Like, there's lots of different um, stuff out there that that really talks to what the body doesn't get to complete and do. And we've talked about this in one of our podcasts before. Um, you know, but I I love you know two point, points when I was re listening to them that really came up for me again is the importance of play for particularly with children when we're looking at helping to heal traumas and and how again that helps create connection and emotional safety and we talk about this all the time with aware parenting of the different aspects of play that we can use to help children process to help them heal to help them overcome fears you know and if you want more information on that please go and listen to some of our other podcasts we've done on play Oh, I've also done another one on healing trauma with kids where we talked about play a lot in there as well. Um, I love, I'm just taking this quote, Stephen Porges was saying, play is mobilisation without threat. And, you know, I think that that, again, can really speak to that 
children innately know often what they need to do to move their stories and their trauma and usually it is through play and you know we often talk about if you want to know what's going on for your child just watch them play whether that's they want to do some you know in you know imaginative play with you whether it's they want to do power reversal stuff with you whatever it is it is beginning to trust their process to heal whatever is going on for them. And I know, you know, but we have both shared many stories of watching our children process through play so beautifully with the traumas they've had or stories that have gone on and what they've worked through is, um, you know, I really, really 100% trust that children know what they need to do to find their way back into that balance or heal some of that trauma and play is such a beautiful way to do it. So I really love that that was touched on again around how powerful play is for children and also for healing. Uh, and, and I just also wanted to touch on that that part too because I I have watched this many times when I worked in birth um, when women had had traumatic births and after the birth what they would do whether they would be shaking whether they would be crying whether what they would talk about how sometimes I was with mothers where once they'd given birth they started talking like they were a little child it was really interesting watching observing women when they were given the space to process this huge experience of birth which it is um, allowing their body to catch up with what had happened to them or what was going on was really powerful to witness and half, often how our um, with I guess because they just didn't know but um, you know in a lot of the hospitals I'd be at they'd just be trying to stop the woman crying or they'd say we'll give you something to stop you shaking or you know you don't need to be worried because your baby's fine or whatever it is to just minimize or stop whatever the woman was doing which you know I kept would watch and observe was innately what they knew they had to do mm. to find their way back into um, into balance and and you know and I think I've shared this story in our podcast too watching my daughter once when she broke her arm she she fell off the hammock. I went out there and I just had finished reading Peter Levine's book on um on on trauma and children. And um and so I just sat there with her and she just looked at me and I could see that she was going into shock. And I just said, I'm gonna stay right with you and I just want you to do what you need to do. And she cried and she shook and she cried and she shook. And I didn't move her, I just stayed right beside her and just, you know, touched her head and said, I'm with you and your body's doing beautifully. And for about 20 minutes, she shook and she cried. And I and I really just kept saying, I'm right with you here, sweetie, you're doing a good job. And then after about 20 minutes, her body just had this incredible calm. And she looked at me and said, I think I've broken my arm. And I was like, yeah, I think you have. And she goes, okay, let's go to the hospital. And she just literally got up and we walked to the hospital and that was it. It was incredible, but it was beautiful to witness in that moment to let, allow the body to do what it needs to do. And, and you know, at, at my school, I talked to our teachers about that. If a child hurts themselves and to can we, making sure firstly they're okay, but can we just keep them safe if they need to cry or they need to shake so they can move whatever's happened for them so that they don't then have to, you know, just push it down or, you know, not, not process it in that moment. It's something really beautiful to witness and watch. And that may be something that's helpful for parents to just remember when our children perhaps hurt themselves cells or something happens that beautiful innate natural ability that the body has to say whoa here's a shock let me get rid of this shock let me move through this in this moment if I can so I no longer have to carry it and and that is again when we talk about aware parenting when we see children with phobias or fears so often it can be related to a situation that happened to them which maybe we didn't catch at the time or maybe we, we tried to make it better at that moment that really stayed with that child and they didn't get to release the feelings they were having in those moments. And I think we would see that, we see that a lot, you know, with, with people we work with. 
Mm, oh my gosh, I love how you explain that. And go, imagine everyone's here going, oh my gosh, I wish you were my mum when I fell over. <laughs> Just like, can you come and do, can you come and listen to me some more now around the dentist, for example? <laughs> yes. Anyway, I did want to say, um, I had an experience like that with my daughter when she was about two and there was some kind of insect, sunny big insect flew around and I just kind of went, like that and every time afterwards any kind of insect she would have that kind of response so I went great I know what to do here so you basically did a lot of attach and play and and I listened to some crying and basically it really it shifted within a just really 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 quickly and I've seen so often things like that with dogs phobias around dogs and all kinds of things and what I would love to say is I love how you talk about all of that is again, aware parenting holds such a deep trust in the body and in feelings and basically the understanding and what I would, uh, you know, what I love to talk about, Jeremy Lent's work, if you haven't read The Patterning Instinct, I recommend it to everyone. So he talks about three and a half thousand years ago being the first time humans split spirit and matter and uh, came to conceptualize um, good and bad, good and evil. And if we think about thousands of years of cultural conditioning, so we may talk about whatever country you're in, like we're in Australia, both of us and other terrible, um, horrific things that have happened to the indigenous people here. And then looking back to our own history, I think about the, the Roman invasion of, uh, of Europe and how often the trauma, so the trauma has just been being passed along for so many thousands of years. And with that, I think, has become has, has also been a passing down in a deep distrust of the body and of feelings. And so in some cultures, it's been the mind that's been seen as superior. You know, let's just use our mind. Our minds are wonderful. There's so many stories about, um, you know, in historic times and even up to recently, the body seen as sinful and bad and evil and dirty and all of that stuff. The same with feelings is seen as like basically sinful and weak and all of those things. And we are still, most of us, I would say the majority of us, carrying those core beliefs about the body and feelings. And what aware parenting really does is say that babies and children come into the world with these things intact. So they know that if they've had a stressful day or a traumatic birth, they can cry in loving arms. They will constantly try to do that. They will try to shake. They will try to play a game over and over again to heal something. And because we often don't understand because of our own cultural conditioning, we actually work against those natural relaxation and healing mechanisms. You know, whenever someone says to me, my child's fighting sleep, I, I tend to think, it's not the child fighting sleep, it's us fighting their natural release and relaxation mechanisms or processes, actually, processes I prefer, because they're constantly, they're trying to cry, they're trying to play, they're trying to work through, they're trying to express the feelings that are stopping them from sleeping or cooperating or being calm or being gentle or all the things that we love. Uh, and so really understanding that I think this is about deep celebration of the profound, integral wisdom of our bodies and our feelings mm. yes to all of that and again like we said this many times remember that for some of us this is the first time we're ever hearing something like this and then and we beat ourselves up because we go oh, I can't do it right well or I get really angry when my kids get mad or you know and and that is again why we have to come back to compassion to go because we're only learning this now like we are we are beginning to integrate and process and 
and learn this. And so we can often move into such judgment of ourselves as parents as well. Why can't I be calm or I should be this or should be that? And, and you know, we've talked about this all the time. Most of us have never, ever had an experience of being fully heard. Most of us have never had an experience of someone holding us in their arms and saying, I see you and let it out and I'm here. And there is no judgment. There is only love and compassion. And some of us have never, ever experienced what that feels like in our lives. And and when we don't have that experience in our bones and in ourselves, it can feel very hard to turn up and do that for somebody else. So I think we, we talk about this of being really kind to ourselves because we are doing the best job we know how and we are, you know, we are generations, you know, deep into disconnection, disassociation, trauma, all of that. And I think if we can take one little step towards playing with our children in a way with presence or trusting our child's journey or listening to a little bit of feelings, even if it's 10 minutes, then we are starting to create a shift and, and make a change. And I think that is, that is amazing. That is amazing. Mm, so amazing. I love how you say that. I think that's why really looking at that collective piece, like I love that uh, Thomas Hubel's work, like really the collective and the intergenerational. And I think so often I, I remember it for myself and I think so often we come to that, don't we, parenting or healing. We just think, oh, it's me and, and my parents and my kids. But actually it's so big. It's the, it's the whole world is three and a half thousand years. And, and any bit that we do, I think is, let's celebrate just like any, mm. any little piece that we do. Any time we respond differently than how we were responded to. Any time we, exactly as you said, just mm. repeat. <laughs> which I, I then I, I would love to link to this if we can because again we, we have so many topics we go oh we could talk about this, yeah, this. So we, we're gonna have to do a part three because there's too which much is why we're talking very fast you can probably tell because we've there's so much time yeah but I, I would love to link now into um into relationships because um you know I love the conversation that Gabor had with Esther Perel um also the relate uh, the conversation he had with V um who used to be called Eve Enslar and her stuff around sexual trauma and stuff like that and I think again this is deeply complex and and this is not my area of expertise at all so I, I do hope that I can give it some um you know some reverence for what it is because it is huge but I love the conversation you had with Esther Perel particularly around you know, the sexual intimate relationships and, and I mean, Garber was talking about it's from his trauma that um, his non-sexual trauma ends up showing up in sexuality, in our sexuality. And I thought that is, is so big and that is so true. And I think that turns up in our relationships all the time. And, and we have done podcasts on this as well around what we often attract in our intimate partners is often the perfect person to help us play out our unconscious wounds around our parents and and that you know that can become such a challenging place in relationship and then we have children together and then our children are like well okay mom you need to sort through this and dad you need to sort through that and I'm going to behave in a way so that's really going to push push up some stuff for you and and then you know then we often can feel like it's very tumultuous in our relationships and you know I I see that a lot with couples I work with is that what we come to from our own stories and traumas and then we come together and then we bring those perfect pieces to bounce off each other and then there's conflict and we make it all about what the other person's not doing and how if only they did this and then it would be okay and we're not owning our own story within that. And I think, you know, intimacy 
is something I think we all deeply crave and want, but it is also deeply painful. It can also be a place of control. It can be, you know, something magnificent and can take, take us to these transcendent levels. Um, but it also can be deeply, deeply complex. And, and I do, I love the conversation that Gabor has with Esther Perel around this. And, and one quote that I wanted to pull out because I thought it was really apt is she says, tell me how you are loved and I'll tell you how you make love. And I thought this was really interesting because she was talking about the fundamentals that we receive when we're little around attunement and attachment and safety and all these kind of things. And then as adults, how safe is it for us to be deeply intimate with our partners, to open up, to experience pleasure, to welcome pleasure, to give pleasure, all those kind of things, which are deeply, um, you know, there's many threads in those places you can go within that. But for me, I guess the key piece that I, I brought out to that, I, I really pulled out of that interview and, and knowing both of their work is, is what are we bringing to our intimate relationship? And you know, what do we project onto our partner around who we think they should be or what role they need to fulfill that really just reflects, again, our own pain or trauma of where we didn't get our needs met. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I see often with clients I work with is when we're on different pages, you know, a woman's like, I want to respond gently and my partner becomes more authoritarian or, you know, there's too much permissiveness or those kind of things. And, and so often it bring children bring up a lot of those deeper wounds and, and they make it about the kids, you know, because we fight about the children, how to respond to them. Um, but it is such an invitation to lean into, okay, well, what am I making this mean? And who is my partner playing out for me? And what, what wound do I, or story do I go into when they don't do the thing that I want them to do, or they question something. And, and I think that, Again, as we talk about knowing our own story, such a gift for our children in relationship, that's another level that I think we need to lean into to say, what are we playing out here? And what is this about for, for each of us individually around our stories or imprints or wounds or all the kind of stuff that we talk around, around intimacy, around attachment, around all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's big. Like it's, it's, I think it's just it's incredible because I think it gives us amazing insight into where we need to lean into doing more work. And, and then it often can make us look at the partner we've chosen and gone, wow, we've just come together to work through this pain <laughs> or yes, they are the person I choose because they are the one I want to journey my life with. But, you know, it, it's often we will, we will be attracted to those partners who are going to help us grow if, if we are willing to do it. It's um, uncanny how we can do that, can't we? Like so clearly. <laughs> Again, and the wisdom of that, isn't it? The wisdom of the psyche that we will absolutely uh, choose people that are going to exactly remind us of usually one of our parents. And, mm -hmm. and then we're going to feel all the feelings that we didn't get to feel and have heard the first time around. <laughs> yeah. And then again, that's why we have to be kind to ourselves because because again, we're not modeled how to, in our culture, we, we don't model how to do that. We, our, our society is like, well, you know, you need to be a better lover or you should be more like this. So you're more attractive to your partner or how to get your partner to do this or that, you know, we, we so miss, but where are you in this story? And what does that feel like for you? And what is, what is coming up for you? And then, and then how can we meet that in, 
within ourselves with compassion first and then see our, our partner with empathy and compassion that they're also doing the best job we know how and and yet we we often go into battle with each other of who's doing it tougher or who's you know not meeting their needs you know it becomes so much about the projection so we don't actually have to feel our own stuff and and then when we look at our children are feeling that and then they're going hmm this doesn't feel good so let me behave in a certain way to help you shift and I think that's the that's the modern day dynamic that I see a lot yes I so hear you mm. Mm. Well, we've got so many more things that we want to talk about. so should we do a part three so that we, we might have to do a part three and we may we will still need to probably talk quickly as well so um, yeah sending love if you're feeling a bit speedy as you the, the listeners if you mm. hopefully maybe excited uh, energized mm. <laughs> as well as fast well I think I think the thing is I, I want to come back to this is that trauma is complex and I think what you know Gabo's documentary is and these beautiful series of interviews is that there is so many different layers and places that we can lean into and we don't have to do it all but it really is I guess I come back to this you know when we sit quietly with ourselves where is it that we feel the pain where do we feel we do not get our needs met where does it feel not great in certain relationships well they're the places to lean into and say well what is this about for me you know, we, we often talk about this. How do we start with ourselves first? What is it that I'm making this mean? What is coming up for me around this? What do I need to feel into so I can see what healing or shifting needs to happen? Because, again, as parents, and, and that's often what we talk about, when any work we can do in our own story, any support that we can get to move through our stuff is a gift to our children because it's one less thing that we place then on their shoulders. So, so to lean into wherever you are to say, hey, where is my story and what's going on here is, is a gift to your kids. Mm, so much so. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. So um, do you have an invitation layout? Sound like that might have been part of your invitation or your invitation. Mm. I think that that for me is it, you know, if just, you know, it's really easy to get overwhelmed into the, oh, gosh, I've got this issue or that issue, but start gently and, you know, a, a great place to, you know, I think sometimes is to go, well, what do I want this to look like or who do I want to be as a parent and I want to feel like that. So what is it that pops up for me that's stopping me from doing that? So perhaps perhaps you can start with what you want it to look like and work your way backwards. <laughs> Mm, yum I love that uh, my invitation I think would be if if you're particularly wanting to work with control patterns or ways of suppressing feelings or mild dissociation is to really remember that thing that the opposite of um, addiction repression suppression uh, dissociation is presence and connection and that can just be even when you're about to take the next bite of chocolate just one conscious breath and one um, I'm right here with you. You really, you, you're really wanting to eat this chocolate. Just mm. something like that. And same with your child. If they're sucking their thumb, picking their nose, wanting to be on screens all day, um, wanting to eat everything in the cupboards, even though they've just eaten, uh, not, not stopping and just moving around all the time is, are you willing to bring your loving presence to them in that moment? Even again, even if it's just for one breath or, or 30 seconds to actually be loving towards them because that's they will feel your loving presence if you can even bring a little bit of loving presence to when they're uh, uh, avoiding being connected with themselves and their feelings that makes a difference 
And mm. if you want to do more, there's loads of more other things attached to play. We'll talk more about play next in part three, mm. I think. <laughs> mm, totally, totally. I love that. I love that you just said that because it is so true. In those moments when we can bring a little bit of presence to our children and they feel that, it will often make them stop. It will often connect them in with us and then, and then we can move from there into feelings or playfulness or whatever it is. But, yes, that presence that you just talked about is so powerful, isn't it, because... Again, that's often what our children are just deeply craving is the presence with us. So, mm, yeah, it's beautiful. Yes. All right. Well, we'll come back and do part three. (laughs) We're going to talk, I think, you know, we talked, we're going to talk more about illness and addiction and play and the body and some, yeah, some other beautiful stuff that was brought up. So, yeah. Yep. Amazing. Amazing stuff. (laughs) Thank you, everyone. Thanks Uh, for listening as always and for sharing. And, you know, we're glad it resonates. And, you know, this is just such a powerful, beautiful topic. And I feel so um, lucky that we get to, to have conversations about this, Marion. It's so, so amazing. I just have to say too, do you know the feedback I get all the time from people, yeah. who, even friends about yes. our podcast is they go, I just feel like I'm sitting in the kitchen having a conversation with you. <laughs> and I love that so much because sometimes we hear the dog barking or the birds chirping. And um, that's for me, again, our biggest thing is around safety and connection mm. and compassion. And if that's what you're feeling when you're listening to us, then that makes me happy. Mm, so so yummy I also mm. want to say one quick thing which is I also really want to acknowledge um Zaya Bonazzo and Maurizio mm. Bonazzo and Gabor Mate and all the all the listeners and actually you know that we can all watch this all for free I mean there's mm. all, an all access pass which I'd really recommend but thank you so much for creating this movie uh this documentary and all these talks because I have I have a real sense it's it's there's a real shift in the zeitgeist right now if that's the accurate word and um uh, you know, I'm so grateful for the mm. for this for these all these offerings that we can all go and watch. Yeah, I second that. I feel like it just is taking it out into the world in a way that is opening up conversation, and that's just so magnificent. So yes, yeah. I second that. Thank you. Yeah. And I actually want to say one more thing, which is come and come and um wherever you follow us, if it's Facebook or Instagram, if you're not following us there, please come and follow us. And I would love to hear what what have you been watching it. What, which ones have you enjoyed? Do you have um, questions in terms of how you, you know, how you'd like us to share in terms of how that relates to aware parenting? If I can get the words out, we'd love to hear from you. So come and share. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. All right. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Mm, so much love to you. Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.